You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Back to Twibley, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, his mother don't dance and his daddy don't rock and roll. It's Mr. <laughs> Jeff McLaughlin. Nah, my mother did dance, but my daddy was way more of a disco guy. <laughs> Except for one Black Oak, Arkansas record that he owned and played incessantly. <laughs> that was the weirdest thing in his record collection, Bill was a Black Oak, Arkansas record. I had never heard of that band until the satanic panic people showed up at my school and they were like, listen to this band, the Black Oak, Arkansas. And we're all looking at each other like, who? <laughs> it you sounds know? like they're singing about pickup trucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That's foreshadowing, yep. kids. That is foreshadowing. Uh, so uh, what's going on? What are you going to talk about today? I found myself in the very rare state where I was engrossed by something that was on a streaming service. I'm going to use old person's terminology to, so this is easier for me to describe. I found myself enamored with something that's on TV, Bill. I haven't been enamored with something that's on TV in a long time, like yeah, years. Yeah, I was about to say you uh, you actually make a point of saying that, like you say something along the lines of, "I only have a finite time on this planet. I'm not going right. to spend it, you know, wrapped up on a TV show." So, what changed your perception on life? Well, I was spending some time in between projects. I was waiting for a book to arrive in the mail. Mm-hmm. I sat down to watch something on one of the streaming services we have and generally i watch like short things on youtube like a guy who cleans horse hooves yep. <laughs> i don't know why but i like that guy i went to the hbo max streaming service and they have a documentary called the anarchists which i had I... read an article about at some point yeah i've heard of that but i don't have hbo max so i haven't mm-hmm. seen it yeah if you find that it shows up somewhere else because it wasn't produced by hbo it was picked up i guess after it was made okay. and broadcast on hbo it's worth a view. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's about a, a sort of a group of people. It's a documentary, so it's a group of people who kind of get together in Acapulco, Mexico, and have a conference for anarchism. I don't know enough about anarchism to say whether or not it's accurate or good or that these guys are smart or dumb or what, but the sort of drama that it unfolds over five years that it took to make this documentary is astonishing to sort of witness. And I found that I, when I started to watch it, only four episodes had aired. I think three episodes had aired, and I started watching it on the night that the fourth episode premiered, and I happened to get to the end of the third episode five minutes after the fourth episode premiered, so I just kept watching right through. Oh. And then I was anticipating the days that it would come out so that I could watch the next two episodes and see how the story continued and ended up. Isn't that terrible, really- though? I'm so used to Netflix dropping all yes. the episodes all at once. Mm-hmm. You know, now this whole like week to week stuff, you know, like we did our entire lives up until a few <laughs> years ago is yeah. really, really inconvenient, especially if you you find yourself engrossed in it. And again, I haven't sat down for four hours to watch a single thing in years, even right. movies that run three hours. I break up and I watch them in pieces because I can't stand sitting still. Oh, sure. And I was like just really, really, really captured by the, the stories that were being told inside of this documentary It was really good. I'm not here to pitch a series or anything. It's it's one of those, like, if you happen to have the service that it's on, this is a pretty cool thing to watch. And I thought it was really interesting. And, and, and it was subject matter that I didn't have any experience with in the past. Twibbly which... does not endorse anarchy. Yeah, we, do, we don't. Yep. You know. Whenever I was in Montreal, I walked by an anarchy store, which I thought was... <laughs> Just, I don't think that could exist in America. I'm pretty sure that that's an oxymoron, right? In yeah, anarchy yeah, stores yeah. and like an oxymoron. My imagination ran away with me and I like, I wanted to go in and steal something just like on principle. But since I'm a, na- a you know, a national, you know what I mean? I'm a, I'm an American citizen. I don't want to get arrested in another country. Right. I'm, I'm sure the jails in, in Canada are very polite and yet, yet you still don't want to spend time in one. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, before we get on to the show proper, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. 
All right, this is a little different than the normal style of just question and answer thing. Oh, boy. Yep, well, I'm gonna well give I have you... to sing a song or, like, dance or something? Because, like, this is audio only. Oh, for God's sakes, no. All right, so I'm going to give you three McDonald's menu items. Oh, man. Okay. And you were going to give me the order in which they appeared. Now, I'm talking about wide release, not just test market stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Understood. And I may not, I don't think I've ever unwittingly been in the test market for them like I sort of was for OK Soda. Right. When I first moved here to New Hampshire. So, okay. So we have OK Soda. No, 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 no. <laughs> we have okay. <laughs> we have the McRib, Chicken yeah. McNuggets, and right. the McChicken. You're going to put those in order from earliest to most recent. Okay. All right. On with the show. This is the week beginning, October the 3rd, and it is your turn to start. October the 3rd, 1899. A guy named J.S. Thurman invents the suckiest invention ever. <laughs> he patents the motor-driven vacuum cleaner. The principles of which are still used in vacuum cleaners that you buy today. It sucks and it's fun to make jokes about. The whole gist is that it's a pretty much a big fan that pushes air into a canister, creates a partial vacuum, and that sucks up the garbage from the floor and throws it into the canister that you can empty out later. I have seen pictures of this vacuum cleaner, and honestly, I have owned smaller cars. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine getting this thing up and down the stairs. It must have been like, oh, you know what? We're just going to stay downstairs from now on. Like, I vacuumed the upstairs floor once, and it took nine people to get the thing down. Like, all the lights go dim. They were typically sold and employed in Victorian Britain. They were a, a chore-saving tool for house servants or house people more than anything else. They weren't consumer devices. They were used by the staff at a house. Right. Uh, that way you didn't have to, like, drag the carpets out and beat them. Right. Like, one of the ways that they used to get try and get carpets clean was they would use, like, damp tea, damp tea leaves, and a broom. And they'd lay the, the damp tea leaves down. They would absorb some of the dust. And then you could sweep the tea leaves up. And that would clean-ish, clean the interior carpets. And then you take them out every week and beat on them. And it would take dozens of dozens of hours of work to do that in a manor house that has like three floors. And yeah, that's a you know, process. maybe 18 rooms. That's a process. And the vacuum cleaner streamlined that so that it could be done in-house. And it was very, very fast. I'm sure it was noisy as all get out. Oh, that's another thing. I'm looking at this picture and I'm just like, that thing just must sound like, I can't even think what that would sound like. Like right? if you put a pillow in your washing machine and like it just sticks on one side. That's what that thing must sound like. Yeah. It looks like it's made just to be noisy. It's completely function over form. Yep. This original one, that the, the one that Bill and I, we should put a picture in the show notes if we can, but th this one that we're looking at, yeah. th there's no thought at all to like making this look attractive. It's just, it gets the stuff off the floor. No, it's a memory that I have from when we were kids, like pre-cable television days. Yep. Like, my, you know, here's my mother like starting a vacuum. And she's like, Ma, I'm trying to watch Tom and Jerry for f***'s sake. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it creates all the electromagnetic interference that makes the TV go staticky. Yeah, on yeah, yeah, yeah. UHF channels only. Yep. Yeah. Let me that. let me know when there's a commercial so I can pass the vacuum. What's funny was I had a canister vacuum when my when my daughter was really little and she used to lay on it <laughs> and get dragged around the house while I was vacuuming the house. It was wicked funny. <laughs> all right, moving on to October the fourth. October the fourth, eighteen eighty three. The Orient Express departs on its first official journey from Paris to Istanbul. The Orient Express was a train, ladies and gentlemen, with tracks that went you know, basically straight across Europe. Yes, from Paris to Istanbul. That's a long journey. Yeah. Without changing gauge. I don't think they had to change the gauge like they had to when they, they finally had trains that crossed into Russia because Russia used a different gauge track. Okay. They'd have to take the bottom of the train, all the train cars have their wheels replaced with a different narrower gauge to travel in Russia if they were going, like, to, I don't know, Siberia or something. Yeah, because lots of stuff happens over there. Uh, <laughs> but this was, yeah, well, the Orient Express is more of a passenger train, not a cargo yes. train, yeah. Right. It was also super-duper luxurious, but it was, a, it was a fast and classy way to get across Europe from yeah. France to Istanbul. And the setting for uh, one of Agatha Christie's probably most popular novels, and... Uh, subsequent movies. I was going to suggest that there was a murderer somewhere on this train yeah, yeah. in 1883. Well, uh, spoiler yes. alert, there wasn't a murderer. There was several. <laughs> several. That's how they roll. 
You son of a bitch. I can't believe you just said that. That's how they roll on a train. That is. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. We don't want to get off track, Bill. You smart. All right. <laughs> before you October 5th. Before you hit me with a, another pun here. October the 5th. What do you got? October the 5th, 1965. A guy named Chuck Linster performs 6,006 consecutive push-ups before his arms fall off. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I thought you said 6,006. Yep, 6,006. 6,006. I just imagine like his gym buddy. Come on, one more. One more. <laughs> Who would stay there and count? Like, whatever are we on? Oh, sh- oh man. Uh, 3,522. Yeah. <laughs> you get distracted for two seconds and all of a sudden you got to start all over again, Chuck. I'm sorry, man. I, I got distracted as a dog walked by. Yeah. You were like in the 5,000s or something. Oh, I'd have to have like one of those little like doorman clickers things there oh yeah Yeah, there's no way around that my god how many six thousand six i think the most amount of push-ups i've ever done i was trying to do like x amount of push-ups every day and increasing it you know by one or two every day and i got up to like 65 i could do 65 consecutive push-ups you can't do fun facts you can't do push-ups like that every single day your muscles just won't have it and then I actually had to walk around with my arm in a sling for a few days because I had pulled a muscle somewhere in my chest. Well, how do you think Chuck Lister felt? He had to have somebody dress him, I'm sure, for the next two weeks after this. Like, can you pull my pants on? I'm pretty sure he walked out of the room on his lips. <laughs> <laughs> the most push-ups I did, I, we used to do a lot in, in Hapkido when I was a student of Hapkido. I did that for 20 years. Yep. And I did 102 or 103. 102 or 103. Wow. Consecutively, yeah. And we used to work our way up hard. So we would do like 50 regular push-ups and then 20 on knuckles and 20 on palms and 20 on the edges of your hands and stuff. You just get used to doing different muscle groups. Eventually, that plays out. If you're going to do a run to try and do a run to 100, you can you can do it. It's just, yeah. it takes a long time to work towards it. All of my push-ups have to be on my knuckles because I have like horrifically bad wrists they just don't want to bend. It's from years of working as a programmer, I think. 6,006 consecutive. I, I'm not even sure how long that would take. 10 hours is 600 minutes. Like, how many? How long did he go? I have no 6, idea. 6,006 push-ups. One hour has 3,600 seconds in it. Right. And a push-up a second, that's pretty fast. You know? <laughs> that's very fast. Yeah. So you're talking about you know a minimum of two hours. Well, well probably. Oh, it, you know. Yeah. At least. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess the last six weren't very fast. You know. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to October the sixth. Hey Jeff. Hey what? We got another Kiss album to talk about. <laughs> Do. Yeah. So on October the sixth of two thousand and nine. Kiss released an album called Sonic Boom. Which, I never heard that album, Bill. Yeah, there's a good reason for that. Uh, Honestly, no it's idea. not a bad it's not a bad album. There's a couple of good tracks on there. It's your, your standard Kiss Fair. I believe it was the first album that they recorded with Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer on oh. in, in the lineup. You know, with okay. the makeup and on and all that. Right, right. But the thing that makes this album stand out is it was available exclusively at Walmart and nowhere else. Oh, and in 2009, it would have been on CD because it's not an yes. album album, right? Right, it's on CD. Uh, right, I'm not a Walmart guy. We have one in town, but I, I only go there if it's later than other stores are open. Yeah. <laughs> no, I go to Walmart maybe twice a year, possibly less. I it, And I, it's not because I have like weird political reasons or anything like that. I just don't have the time. There's no such yeah. thing as a quick trip to Walmart. No. it's Again, it's not a political thing for me either. It's just I don't think of it. It's not on a main road here in, in the uh-huh. town I live in. You have to go there. You know, yeah. that, you know what that's like? If I'm going to go somewhere to get something or go somewhere to buy something, I, like, I shop like a guy. I don't go walk around stores and be like, oh, that's pretty. I wonder what that does. Or, oh, yeah, I always wanted to look at one of these things and then not buy it. No, I make a straight beeline for the Kiss album, right? Exactly. Yeah, I would be like, if the Kiss album was there, I would have been going there just to get the Kiss album. and Which is exactly what I did. I bought that Kiss album, yes. Because I have it. It's fine. The other day, I was listening to Kiss on Spotify. I think we've established that. I like Kiss. I like Kiss fine. One of my lifetime favorite bands. And I like every era of Kiss. 
I think every era has its charms. Yeah, I agree. No argument for me there. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of really bad albums within every era, but (laughs) every era has its charms. So, like, last week we were talking about Psycho Circus, and I went back and I listened to that album. Album's fine. And I was like, oh, I want to listen to Sonic Boom. And Sonic Boom is still a Walmart exclusive because it's not available on Spotify. So it's like the, it's like when we talked at the beginning of the show about this thing that I watched being on HBO Max only. Yep. Like, that exclusivity causes problems. It makes it hard for something like that to be seen by a, a bigger audience because it, it requires a predetermined purchase or... It limits availability artificially. And the thing is, it's been 13 years, Walmart. You've sold as many as you're going to sell. Let my people go. (laughs) For the love of God, put it out on Spotify. Or something, you know? So you can hear, hear, Walmart gave rock and roll to you. (laughs) We're all in aisle two. (laughs) All right. uh, Let's go on to the 7th. October 7th. 1977, guitarist Steve Hackett tells Genesis to go pound sand. Actually, he doesn't do that. He leaves He leaves amicably, but he leaves Genesis and contributes to the pantheon of awesomeness that is 1970s prog rock. For those of you who are like us that like 1970s prog rock, Hackett is one of the, what's the yeah, phrase I'm name. looking for? He's a he's, big yeah, name, he's, yeah. He would have a big, big statue uh, if there were <laughs> statues of prog rock guys. So Genesis is such a popular band. But there was 70s Genesis before there was 80s Genesis, right? And they're very, very different, even though they have the same people. Yes, definitely are. Whole different type of influential, I think. Their song structure is so different. I was just reading an article about Peter Gabriel when he left Genesis and wanted to do something that was more poppy, was the description, at least that was in the article. Well, it took him a long time to get there, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, compared to, like, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, his first record is way more poppy than that. He wanted to make more commercially friendly music, and Genesis ultimately made more commercially friendly music, and he's like, maybe it was me. (laughs) Maybe I was the one holding that band back. And ultimately, Genesis went on to become hugely popular as they became more commercial, as did Peter Gabriel. But if they had stayed together, they would not have been able to do that. And then Steve Hackett, for one album was in another band that will go down in prog rock history, GTR, which was supposed to be the ultimate guitar band. It was him and Steve Howe from Yes. Yes. Steve Hackett, Steve Howe. And it's a record that has exactly two kind of okay songs on it. And then... Yeah. The first song, When the Heart Rules the Mind, I absolutely adore that song. That song is wonderful head to toe. Oh, yeah. I think it's, it's kind of good. Yep. The second song, the follow-up uh, single, was the second song called The Hunter, which is fine. It really shows off the singer's voice. Right. And then there's a bunch of other songs on that album. Put a gun to my head. I can't remember <laughs> I can't remember them either. They all featured, however, guitar, Bill, as the primary instrument. Which is what I remember from having that tape was like, this tape sounds like it's mixed for guitar players, and it's really hard to enjoy. <laughs> Steve Hackett, guitar God. Yeah, still very popular in the prog rock circles. Whenever I was out in Montreal for the Marillion weekend, a lot of people were still talking. I guess he's got a new album out, or maybe he was he's touring or something. Maybe he's trying to put together G, trying to put GTR back together. I bet yeah, Max Bacon's be, yeah. free. Yeah. The singer for GTR's name is Max Bacon. It's that's it's, awesome. It sounds, sounds like something you order at IHOP. I was about to say it sounds like the new Subway promotion. Right? Max Bacon. Max Bacon. Brought to you by the American Heart Association. Max Bacon. (laughs) Hey, you know what's horrible? Microwave bacon. So moving on to October the 8th, 1945, uh, your friend and mine, Percy Spencer, patents the microwave oven. First real application of death ray technology and home appliances. Yeah. The magnetometer was originally developed to sort of try and shoot down planes or hurt soldiers who were far away and... It's not good at that, but it's really good at heating up soup. (laughs) Uh, I think the microwave, the story I heard was kind of like discovered or invented where a guy um, had a chocolate bar, Snickers bar, if I remember correctly, in his pocket. And when he was like walking by something that was producing microwaves and it melted the chocolate bar in his pocket. And I'm thinking that can't be good for anybody (laughs) I hope it was in his front pocket, because if it was in his back pocket, he would have had a lot of, like, no, no, it's not what you think. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, apparently, the magnetometer in a microwave oven only works as a death ray if the uh, enemy soldiers you're shooting it at are wrapped in aluminum foil or carrying stainless steel forks because they spark up real bad. <laughs> but uh, the microwave oven was originally sold as like the, it's the future. You can cook a whole turkey in one of these things. You can cook uh, you most can chicken. Not. You absolutely cannot cook no. a whole turkey in a microwave. I, I don't. No, you can't. It just you, you might as well put laces on it and wear it on one of your feet. <laughs> Because it's going to turn it into turkey jerky because it boils all the, all the liquid out. Right. Um, microwave ovens are really, really interesting and good tools, though. Mm-hmm. They've been a staple in kitchens pretty much since the 1960s when they became inexpensive enough for everybody to buy. Revolutionized popcorn. And were, was the death knell for the traditional TV dinner because those things are all foil. Can't put those right. in a microwave unless you like sparks. So here's my funny microwave story. This area where I live... It's a little bit better now, but so back in the very early 90s, we didn't have fancy like fast food restaurants around here. All we had was McDonald's and Burger King, and that was it, right? But Fall River, oh, 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 Fall River had Wendy's and Fall River had Taco Bell. So I used to drive 20 miles out just to go to these fast food places. But, you know, you drive 20 miles back and your food's a little cold. Right. So I would throw the burgers into the microwave just to warm them up a little bit. So I I throw my bag in there, hit the go button, and then I turn around to walk out to go to the bathroom. And I hear pop, 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 pop. I was like, oh, wait. (laughs) Wendy's uses foil wrappers. Uh Uh-huh. So I open up and the bag is now on fire. On fire. Yep. Yep. Which I grab and I pull, which lights my long ass hair on fire. And I'm like, ah, ah, and <laughs> drop the bag on the ground. I'm beating myself in the head trying to get my hair to go out, which thankfully it didn't burn up too bad. But of course, my mother comes running into the room. If you ever met my mother, you'd understand the next question that comes out of her mouth. What the hell is the matter with you? Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. Not, are you okay? Oh my God. Let me, you know, throw some water on you. No. What the hell is the matter with you? Did you ever, just to drag us into discussions of hamburgers, mm-hmm. did Hardy's Beef Burgers close just before you were able to drive? I think it did for me. I always wanted to go there, and it was right near my house, but I never I never went as a kid. And that was, like, my mom's favorite. What on God's green earth are you talking about? Where was Hardy's? There was a Hardy's, uh, a Hardy's Beef Burger right down in the south end near where Cove Discount Center. Oh, oh no. You, no, you have to understand. My mother did not venture down to that end. The Tharby Dragons. No, That's I didn't the know. dangerous end of New Bedford. I well, I don't know. She, my mother, could get anywhere without taking a left-hand turn. Ah. She was not. A, she was not a confident driver. She drove very fast on the highway, but as far as city driving goes, no, no, no. So yeah, the south end of New Bedford was not. That didn't exist. That didn't exist. Uh, it, that place closed just before I got my driver's license, so I never had the opportunity to go there. But I know, I know, my mom liked it. All right, let's wrap up the week. October 9th, nineteen eighty. The first consumer use of home-based banking by computer is offered by the United American Bank in Knoxville, Tennessee. Nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. I'm not even sure what that even entails. Exactly. It's like you're going to be doing your home computing on a Radio Shack TRS-80. Like you're now broke. You don't have any money to count on your new computer because you spent like $1,500 in 1980 money on a beep, beep, beep computer. Right. Plays uh, Space Invaders. What what I'm curious about, what was the interface like? There's no, it's not like you could log into a web-based bank account thing like we can now. I do all my banking on the computer now. It, it would have been sort of, what, like a green screen terminal or something that connected? Right. I, I couldn't find any details of how it worked or what the interface was like or what features it had, but apparently you could do banking. The other day, now this is 2022. This doesn't happen as often as it used to, but it happened to me the other day. There was a crazy person in front of me in line with a checkbook, writing a check out for their groceries, yep. and they did the most absurd thing. They were balancing their checkbook. Oh, yeah. They wrote out the amount of the check and then, like, subtracted it from... I was like, you know, even when I had a checkbook and I wrote checks for certain things and all that, I have never once, never once, America, have I ever balanced my checkbook. I pay people to do that. 
I did, because I used to do things like I'd end up causing myself to have a $39 cup of coffee, because that $4 cup of coffee that I bought bounced my account by 50 cents, and then uh, there's a $35 fee on top of it. Uh, no, I didn't keep like $50 in my checking account. I kept oh, like man. a big buffer of amount, yeah. Oh, no, not not me. I, you know, we had lean years here in this house, and, and oh, sure. I, I was I was like the flying Walenda family of balancing <laughs> checkbooks. I was like, I, I could cross Niagara Falls on a wire if I thought my checkbook was going to fall out of whack. Uh, <laughs> $40 cup of coffee. $40. The other thing about the 1980s home banking thing is like this is connecting over a phone modem in 1980. So that's like a cradle modem you drop your telephone receiver into and it's all analog and it's playing like four kilohertz modem tones through the phone, right? That's how it works. I mean, I had a home computer in the 80s and I had a a 300 baud modem, but I didn't get that to like, I think, 85. Right. So for this one, like I, I'm pretty sure they used to advertise it like this. Bank from home. It's almost as fast as driving to the bank and doing your banking and then stopping to get a cup of coffee and a donut and then maybe visiting with your mother-in-law and then going home and putting away some groceries and then finishing balancing your checkbook almost as fast. Hey, you can drop by Hardee's while you're out. <laughs> well, the, the world has come a long way. I still work with a gentleman. He's about 60 years old. He doesn't have a credit card, doesn't have a cell phone, doesn't have a computer at his house. He does everything analog, yep. It must be tough to watch TV. Like, even, there isn't even analog cable TV signals anymore. I mean, you can be a Luddite, but at one point, at some point, you're just going to be, like, making your own puppet shows to stay entertained <laughs> or, re or reading books. I think he bit the bullet. He has cable television, but that's, that's about the long and the short of it. All right, moving on to the celebrity birthdays. October the 3rd, 1962, the drummer for the very first band I saw in concert. I guess you could say. Tommy Lee, the drummer from Motley Crue. He was the best drummer I've ever seen in concert. I saw them twice back in their like glory days. Before, I think it was Girls, Girls, Girls had just come out or just before Girls, Girls, Girls came out. That's the tour that I saw. And like he was in that drum kit that's like spun around and went yep. upside down and like flung him around the friggin' pl I was I could not believe how awesome that was. Yeah, that was a spectacle. I don't even like Motley Crue enough to sit through a concert, but I was dating a girl who loved them and I liked her. So yeah, I saw them. He had the the spinning drum set, which is crazy cuckoo bananas, and he's like built on top of that. I think one of the tours that they did, I guess it was the farewell tour before they did the reunion tour. It was like on a roller coaster track that went like all around the arena. There's enough showmanship. I don't even care if there's like some chicanery that helps make that sound good. When you're doing that kind of stuff, but like the dude's like pretty much playing drums in a tilt a whirl. Yeah, you know <laughs> what? I don't care. That's right. awesome. Rock on, yep. Tommy Lee. Moving on to the fourth, October fourth, nineteen forty-one. Another revolutionary uh, media personality, kind of, is Anne Rice, who reinvigorated the vampire genre and brought it into the mainstream with her book *Interview with the Vampire*, and then ultimately *The Vampire Lestat*. The Queen of the Damned, and a ton of others. Right. She is a fantastically interesting writer to whose work spans not only vampire stories, but branches out into like gothic mystery and weird historical novels. She wrote a bunch of porn. She's awesome. <laughs> that interview with a vampire, that book came out in like the like mid-70s, right? Yep. Yeah, it did. It really picked up a lot of steam and popularity in the 90s. I remember all my contemporaries in the 90s just really super being into Anne Rice. One, being at the my stubborn 90s, uh, everybody likes it, therefore I don't like it mentality. And also the fact that I just don't read a lot of novels. So I've never read an Anne Rice book. I did see the movie and I thought it was okay. All right, moving on to October the 5th. October the 5th, 1902. Not the founder of McDonald's, but the franchise-er guy, Ray Kroc, who was the, the head of McDonald's for many, many, many years. He was indeed. And at one point was like the largest like amusement-style park landowner in the United States because of all of the play places that were in McDonald's. It was bigger <laughs> square footage-wise if you combined it all together than Disneyland and Disney World. Oh, wow, yeah. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't realize until we were we were pulling the show together that he also owned the San Diego Padres for a long time, too. Oh, really? Yeah. So I guess, you know, if you own one, like, super successful franchise, you just get into the franchise business in a different industry. Because yep. baseball is almost a franchise. It's a, you know, it's a cartel. Gone now. He's been gone for years. But whenever I was in California, we drove by what used to be his house. Uh, and I don't remember if it was next door or a few houses down or whatever. 
but he lived like real close to uh, somebody else on our birthday list. We'll get to them in a minute. So there was like two brothers that had opened up a McDonald's hamburger place. And Ray Kroc was like, hey, uh, I'd like to buy this off of you. And they made a deal that uh, as long as they could keep their original restaurant. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. And then he opened up one of his McDonald's right across the street and yeah. put him out of business because Ray Kroc's an asshole. <laughs> he is what he is. He's a, a, I don't even know what the right words are, rapacious capitalist asshole or something. You know what he is? You know what he is? I'll tell you what he is. All right, next up, October 6th, who do we got? <laughs> October 6th, 1964, singer, songwriter, and alternative guy, <laughs> Matthew Sweet, who's really famous for one good song, but it's such a good song that you probably still know it, called Girlfriend. I love that song. What, was he in another band? Like, is he a solo artist coming out of another band? So, I don't know. I don't think he came out of another band. I don't know where he's from. I don't know where he went. I am looking at a picture of him right now, and apparently he went to McDonald's. (laughs) He is considerably larger than he was whenever he was on MTV. Uh, No, no, he's a solo artist. That's that's who he is. That's who he is. And I know he's still touring, probably playing the same like songs off of the same record that girlfriend is on it's not a bad record at all right like gtr the first two songs are really good the rest of them i can't remember what they are but i had it on tape actually matthew sweet was one of the uh one of the answers to the very first trivia question we ever did here on twibbly because he was yeah he was in ming t which was the put together band from austin powers on austin powers right all right moving on to october the 7th 1968, Tom York from Radiohead, which Radiohead is to Jeff what Marillion is to Bill. I do love Radiohead. I just picked up the project that he's doing now called The Smile. And like I had forgotten, because, you know, it's been a long time since I bought a lot of records. Sometimes you buy a record and it skips. The (laughs) record I have of his has skips in it, and it's very irritating. But, uh, Tom York is uh, one of my favorite singer-songwriter guys. If only they came up with a method that keep records from skipping. Wow. I went, you know, hunting for a CD player to add to my stereo, and nobody makes those anymore. I have to go find a used one and hope that it's not broken. Isn't that crazy? You can find record players, like one of the least efficient ways of listening to music, and they're everywhere. And CD players, you know, which in 1986 was like... The be-all, end-all, and uh, yeah, you can't find them anywhere. Can't find them anywhere. I have to keep hunting at Goodwill and on like Facebook Marketplace. I bet you Crazy. can find one at Walmart. I bet I can't. <laughs> I bet, if, you know, maybe they have a package where I can go buy that Kiss album <laughs> and one of their uns, uh, their their shelf stocks of old, old CD players. Uh, Tom York is a unusual-looking man. He looks very British. He looks, he yeah, he looks like a cartoon of a British man. And he had surgery when he was a kid, so he's got like one droopy eye, which makes him look like a drunken cartoon character. Well, the, but well, actually, the picture I'm looking at, he has hair kind of covering that eye, so I can see it in another picture. Oh, he does have a droopy eye, but that's not even what makes him look British. He just looks super British. From all reports, he's actually very difficult to work with. I understand. I understand he doesn't like to be spoken to by the common folks who buy his records either. But whatever. Don't care. I don't want to hang out with the guy. I just want to listen to him sing songs about stuff. Well, good. All right. Moving on to somebody else who I heard is difficult to work with. What do you got? (laughs) October 8th, 1943. The star of the first season of Saturday Night Live. The breakout. Chevy Chase. Tall. Handsome. Funny. And a giant jerk, as I've been led to believe. Yep. Yeah, tall, handsome, funny in 1975. Uh, I believe he's still tall. <laughs> he is still tall. His breakout from SNL was the movie with Goldie Hawn. Foul play, yes. See, foul play. And then after that, he did Modern Problems. You remember Modern Problems? I do. He was like in a nuclear accident and then he just, he like, he gets superpowers. Telekinesis or something. Yeah. I, I have the vaguest memory of seeing that movie in the cinema and it not being funny at all because I was not the right audience for it. I remember seeing the trailers for it on HBO and thinking it was going to be hilarious and then being very disappointed that the 45 seconds that made up the trailer made up the exact 45 seconds that were funny in the movie. Yeah, that's that's exactly the reaction that I had in the cinema. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was like, wow, this is not funny at all. Even my dad, who generally, if he was quiet, you know, he was he was in a place that was dark and he had 90 minutes where nobody was hounding him for money or stuff. He would enjoy it. He, I remember at the end of that film, he just looked at us and he went, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, dad, you know. It's real easy to kind of like pick on Chevy Chase because of uh, his storied career. But if you were going to pick a favorite, let's be nice. Pick a favorite. What's your oh. favorite Chevy Chase movie? My favorite Chevy Chase movie is Fletch. Because oh, you took mine. It's so good. It's such a good adaptation of the source material, and the cast in it is excellent uh, along with him. Yep. But the one that I go and seek out so that I can watch him is Caddyshack. Because that movie is insane, and it's still funny, uh, even though I've seen it 9,000 times. Yeah, he's a, that, he's a great character in that movie. Like, he's super rich, but he doesn't play into the whole rich personality type right uh but yeah fletch is my favorite i think chevy chase is absolutely perfect for that role so much so that there's always kind of like threats that there's gonna be like a new fletch movie i know kevin smith was on board for one of the projects but like i honestly can't picture anybody else but chevy chase as fletch yeah i used to say that i read the book after i'd seen the film a bunch of times so the character in the book is described differently so there are other actors that i could see playing him but my mental model for fletch is always is still always chevy chase because of the film he nailed the character he was great and wrapping up the birthdays october 9th 1952 sharon osborne wife of ozzy osborne and star and fired member of several TV talk shows for afternoon stay-at-home moms. The woman who the mere sound of her voice causes nerve damage over here at uh, <laughs> at my house. I'm sure this is what it sounds like on like October 9th at the Osborne residence. Ozzy, where's my birthday cake? I can't feel my legs because the spines in my back have come out of place again. Yeah. You're, you're entirely too coherent to be Ozzy Osbourne at the point. Um, I tried to light the cake on fire with candles yeah. and I burned her, the curtains. Her voice goes through me like straight peaches through a baby. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Yep. I will say my favorite caricature of her was Saturday Night Live's version of her on Celebrity Jeopardy. Yes. Played by Amy Poehler. Yeah. That was the funniest version <laughs> of her ever. She was actually not only Ozzy Osbourne's wife, but she was also his manager, like, throughout most of his career. God, he needed her, because she... <laughs> he, he definitely did. Yep. He definitely did. She kept him... She kind of kept him on a straight and narrow. Well, didn't keep him on a straight and narrow. That's not what I mean. She she, she kept the machinery the around him going. <laughs> yeah, she kept the machinery around him going yes. through OzFest and all the other stuff and dealing with all the other musicians who, if you listen to the interviews with them, will say things that are less than charitable about Sharon Osbourne's management style. Yep. But you know what? Sometimes, like, when you're wrangling a bunch of, like, Lemmy-quality rock and rollers around, you kind of have to have a personality type that's going to be able to make it work. Right. And I feel like, like she has that. The stories that you hear about Ozzy Osbourne, sniffing ants, et cetera, et cetera, if you've ever seen The Dirt there, the Motley Crue uh, movie, um, <laughs> all those, you know, biting the head off a freaking bird at the record-signing contract, all these stories about Ozzy Osbourne, man, you'd have to be just short of the most strictest drill sergeant in the world. Imagine if that guy was left to his own devices. Um, just imagine that. Jeez. I know. It's it's something else. But hey, you know what? Happy birthday, Sharon Osbourne. Yeah. May your voice always shatter the spines of those around you. Yeah. May your voice shatter glasses from here until eternity. Not Ozzy's spine. He just had that fixed, but everyone else. Ooh, you know what would be awesome? A Sharon Osbourne cover album featuring... The worst song ever. Okay, Jeff, what do we got in the canon this week for the worst song ever? In the canon this week for the worst song ever, we're going back to the mid-1980s, Bill. Okay. And we're going back to the mid-1980s to a band that transitioned pretty well from relative obscurity in like southern rock and roll in the 1970s to full-on MTV superstars in the 80s. I'm talking about ZZ Top. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, they were like a you know classic rock radio kind of a band. And then all of a sudden they had super popular videos on MTV. Like you couldn't shake them, yeah. 
Yeah, and like their 1970s output, imagine, if you will, if the Allman Brothers' mother only had two kids, <laughs> that would be ZZ Top, right? So they're like, they're a southern, guitar-driven, funky, bluesy band, right? Yeah. Small group, three-piece, three guys. And in the 1980s, they released a, a very good album called Eliminator, which was super-duper polished. Mm-hmm. They leaned hard into music videos, and they put out three, I think it was three, yes. really good music videos in a row. Yes. I'm not sure what the... Maybe you know the order, but it was Legs. Uh, it was Give Me All Your Lovin'. Give Me All Your Lovin'. Then it was yep. Sharp Dressed Man, and then it was Legs, I believe. Three fantastic songs. I think Legs was the one that got the video of the year for the year that it was released. Great introduction to them. A little bit softer, less funky. Yep. And they all and kind the of next- like existed in this like ZZ Top cinematic universe, too. Right. The videos told a weird story. Yeah. So it was it was always somebody who was like an underdog. There was these three hot girls that drove around in this, like, I don't remember what kind of car it was. It's a classic car. And it was on the cover of the Eliminator album. And they would just, like, show up and give this, like, underdog nerdy guy, like, the business, as it were. And then all of a sudden, because these hot girls are paying attention to him, he wasn't the underdog nerdy guy. And then, like, ZZ Top would, like, fade in and fade out and like point and then <laughs> they were like these specters within the video and well remember they used to throw they used to throw the keys to the car yeah, to the star of yeah, the show yeah yeah the star of the video so it, legs was the only one that really differed from the the presentation in that the underdog was a girl she was a waitress yes. at in a diner and they made her super duper hot and it impressed i don't know what the guy at the desert diner was he was like he must have been like the dishwasher or something like right <laughs> i guess you take what you can get okay this is a real long way around the fence because we have to build up who zz top were and, and what this album was and groundbreaking that it was for the band and then for whatever reason came the fourth single jeff yeah, the fourth single, TV Dinners, which is, it's not even good filler. <laughs> That's how shitty this song is. <laughs> Let's play the clip, and then we can continue with the dive. Here. <laughs> this song sucks so badly that the B-side is a million times better than this song. <laughs> the B-side still gets tons of airplay. It was cheap sunglasses, which you've got to like a one in five chance of hearing that as a ZZ Top song if you listen to rock and roll radio. Right. That's an older song though, right? It must have been like a live track or something. I don't know. I, all I know is that it's the B-side to this. And I'm sure that if you were listening to like Rock 101 up here in New Hampshire, you'd hear like, coming up in the next hour, ZZ Top. ACDC, again. And of course, Guns N' Roses. The, the ZZ Top song, you had a one in five chance of it being cheap sunglasses. Right. Because that song gets played all the time. And TV dinners just doesn't. And the thing is, like what really sold uh, ZZ Top were the videos, you know? The videos were insanely popular. So the point was, I, I went back and I listened to Eliminator today in prep for the show. And because I was listening to it and not watching the videos as a teenage kid... I was like, oh yeah, that's right. ZZ Top is a southern rock band, which never even dawned on me because the videos were so MTV. You know what I mean? They well, were very- I like to describe the first three videos in the series of the ZZ Top Cinematic Universe as the during the day equivalent of Midnight on Cinemax. Because <laughs> yes, <laughs> they were. That you come, it didn't matter what the hell they were singing, to be honest with you, right. in any of those, because the the visuals were so evocative. The other thing too with ZZ Top is the genre that they belong to, this southern rock. You know, they're contemporaries of bands like Molly Hatchet and that ilk, but ZZ Top didn't really wear their southern on their sleeve, so to speak. You know what I mean? They weren't really talking about, like, pickup trucks and dogs and stuff like that. Well, 
Not so much the way that Molly Hatchet is a funny. It's funny you bring them up. Yeah. Molly Hatchet's a funny band. Like inevitably, every teenage kid who likes heavy metal goes like, "Oh, Molly Hatchet!" And they buy the record with Death Dealer on the cover, and they bring it home, and they're like, "What the hell is this? This is a country album." Yeah, because oh. they have a very heavy metal looking album covers. Yeah, <laughs> it's the most heavy metal looking records ever, and it is the least heavy metal. You'd be less surprised to find an Ann Murray song on there. Um, <laughs> But so in this the series of videos, they did a video for this crappy song, TV Dinners. For all the other videos that they're barely in, they're even less barely in this one. I'm not they're even... on a TV screen that the main character watches playing some other shit somewhere yeah. that's not this song. I'm pretty sure like uh, Billy Gibbons and what's the other guy's name? Was it Dust? It was Dusty. Dusty Hill. Dusty. Oh, my God. It is 2022 and it's just <laughs> dawning on me. This guy's name is Dusty Hill. It is, in fact, a Dusty Hill. It's a, it's, it's, it's a stage name. I feel like an idiot, Dusty Hill. Duh. Anyway, I'm quite sure... Well, I mean, like, the drummer's name is, like, Gravelly Rhodes. No, so. the drummer's name is Mike Beard, which is ironic because he was the only one... He's <laughs> the only one without a beard. The only one that didn't have a beard. Yeah, he has a beard now, though. I think that's because uh, Dusty Hill died. He was like, I'm on it. So, at any rate, I'm pretty sure what happened was Billy Gibbons was sitting home one day watching MTV, and the video for TV Dinners comes on. He's like, what the hell? Because I don't think they were aware. There's other great songs on this album besides TV Dinners. TV Dinners is probably the worst song. It's so gratingly a novelty song on a record that already it already lends itself to like almost to parody because it's... ZZ Top has always been a funny band. Yeah. They've always been funny. Tush... Funny song. Right. Uh, Cheap Sunglasses, funny song. They have that other song there, uh, Tube Snake Boogie. Tube Snake Boogie. Even right, on Tube this Snake album, Boogie, there's a song called I Got the Six, Give Me Your Nine. I mean, there's as subtle right. as a heart attack. Right. Right. They're, gen- they're genuinely funny. Right. And then to put out something that is so, musically, the song is just plodding. <laughs> and ZZ Top does their best work in like two and a half to three and a quarter minutes. Yep. All their great songs are short. They're like the Ramones. They know. They know their staying power. These songs are so short that, like, I was listening to it. It was like every one of these songs fades out on this, like, super long guitar solo. Shop Just Man, Give Me All You Love It. Yeah. All of them. It's like yeah. the songs are, like, two minutes long and then, like, a 45-minute fade out. So it's one of those, like, Billy Gibbons is playing and he's, like, he's really into it. And the engineer's like, all right, well, we're at about four minutes now, so we're just going to... Turns the recording volume down. It's like at the Grammys when they flash the lights at you to let you know you're talking too long. Yes, yes. Another funny thing with this record, too, is technically it's just Billy Gibbons and some studio musicians because he jettisoned the stuff that Mike Beard and and Dusty Hill had recorded. Oh, really? On this record, yeah. So I'm sure they were thrilled. When they finally listened to it and were like, hey, man, that doesn't sound at all like what I was playing. That's because it's not what you were playing at all. Yep. <laughs> and I brought some studio guys in here because you guys, this isn't your thing. And and going back and listening to this record compared to their earlier records, it is vastly different. Yes. A lot more synthesizer and pop sensibility on this album. Well, even in the uh, the eyeball blisteringly stupid video for this, Dusty Hill is playing a keyboard. He's not even playing bass. Oh, he's probably standing behind a keyboard. I'm sure he was he's standing behind a keyboard. <laughs> yes, pretending, wondering, what am I do? What am I supposed to be doing? What do these white you know? things do? Yeah. What do these white things? <laughs> it, like visually, if they would have stuck with the formula, maybe if they didn't do those three videos in a row, right. there's like nowhere to go but down at that point. It's like they were looking, they were looking for something to hang their image on. Like they had the beards, yeah. that was good. People knew that. Then they had the car, that was good. People knew that. They had the hot women who came out of the car and like granted wishes to the characters in the videos. That was good. People knew that they had the keys, which they showed in every video. That was cool. Everyone knew that. You know, and then they had this, this dumb video with a monster in it. Like what the hell is this? And then the next video, they have like this ultra complicated dance that <laughs> Paula Abdul writes for them. Right. Or choreographs for them. Well, that was that, on the next th- album th- though, at the very that least. Was, yes. The, the, it the, was. Whole, the point I was just about to make before we wrap the segment up is that the, the purpose of music videos is they're short commercials to make people go out and buy the album. Now, right. by the fourth single, if people haven't bought the album yet, it's unlikely they're going to be buying it. And right. furthermore, you're not selling any more copies with this. This right. song is a piece of garbage. Well, who's, who's the person that goes like, you know, I didn't like uh, Sharp Dressed Man and I, I really thought Legs was dumb. And I and I hated Give Me All Your Loving, but you know that 
That TV dinners, man. That song is that's a that's a banging track. That, that song snaps. Me. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. You know why? Because I love TV dinners, Bill. I love frozen food, Bill. I have a microwave and I don't even use it. I use a regular oven and everything's in foil and that's ah, my favorite ZZ Top record. Hey, Jeff. Sorry, I was having one of those moments. You know what's <laughs> you know what's better than TV dinners besides like everything? Uh, uh, no, what's better than TV dinners besides like everything? Chicken McNuggets, a McRib sandwich, oh. or a McChicken sandwich. Those are our three menu items from McDonald's. The McChicken, the Chicken McNuggets, and the McRib. But I want you to put them in order in, from in when they were available at your local McDonald's. All right. And I think it went a little like this. See that? That's me putting things in order so you can't hear me. It's. I'm pretty sure that the order of these being released was Chicken McNuggets, the McChicken, and the McRib came last. I remember my grandfather was like super excited to eat Chicken McNuggets when we were re- revamping the restaurant in 1982 or 83. All right. Because of Chicken you, Fingers. You are wrong. I'm wrong. Yep. It must be McChicken first. So, the McChicken came out first in 1980. Yeah. Uh, I remember the original commercials. They were being uh, promoted by your friend and mine, Larry Bird. The McChicken sandwich actually flopped pretty hard. And in 1981, the McRib was introduced. 81? 81, the McRib was introduced. No yep. way. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then in 1983... They took the McChicken off of the menu because it wasn't selling, and they replaced it with Chicken McNuggets. Huh. And Which since sold then, like mad. Yeah. And since then, the McChicken has come and gone like a love song, I guess you could say. Whatever. But, uh, for a while, the McChicken was on their dollar menu, which I yes. used to get. The dollar menu is now $2.50. Animal parts. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I, I, was, really I was way off. That, yeah, I was really surprised that the McRib goes back that far, but it sure does. Huh. Tastes like it does. Ha! <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that even qualifies as meat. All right, well, that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. All right, bye, guys. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme song. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. You can find us or message us over at Facebook or Instagram using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And remember, if everybody listens to this show gets one more person to listen, we'll double our listenership. Mm.